This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. I think it's going to wear off. There's a lot of rage in the college football space right now. I think it'll wear off. I think as the Christmas season approaches and you get towards your vacation and your holidays, I think it'll fade, but it is fresh right now. The Band-Aid just got ripped off. And the other night, we did a show where I really wanted to talk about the games, and we did talk about the college football playoff selection process, but I just kind of broached the FSU outraged. I, I just kind of touched on it for a little while. And tonight, I just want to circle right back around, and I want to address some things that are being said. Jam-packed, are we, here on Late Kick is Live. Late Kick Kick is Live would be probably a name that's not taken yet. We're high atop a sleepless downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Too much going on on this Tuesday, December 5th, the year of our Lord, 2023. I will address Florida State. I'm in a very unique position. You know, some would call it a waffling-type position based on comments I made within the last month. Don't worry, we'll address all that. Lincoln Riley, speaking of addressing, he's addressing the ineptitude, defensively, of his program at USC. Dabo Swinney's making some big hires. We got big moves happening. We got some guys shaking the old proverbial tree, realizing, uh uh-oh, we're off pace a little bit. And we're going to discuss that. We've got Transfer Portal just absolutely on fire. I've got a Heisman question. I've got a Dion question. i got a college football playoff size question. So, yeah, I know we don't have football games this Saturday, but if you know this sport, if you've been around for any length of time, you know this is the time of year that's arguably the most active, and things are happening right now. Like, even this hour, things are happening that will impact things on the field Uh, this upcoming bowl season, but especially next season. They're watching us in Cocoa Beach, Florida, San Diego, California, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today was a very big day. Not just because the transfer portal's open, not just because we are on the heels of the college football playoff being announced, and a lot of us are arranging travel. I'll probably tell you where we're headed within the next week, by the way. It's not that big a mystery. But no, friends, that's not why today was a big day. In fact, I didn't, Colin, do you see this? I did not even drink my pre-show 
um, mysterious liquid. So hold, please. Oh, very professional. And so um, without further ado, I want to bring your attention to something as we start the show. So today, our buddy Big Game Boomer, as he does towards the end of every year, he released his list of the top 100 media personalities in college football. And I am happy to report that we're smack dab in the mix there in the top five. We are positioned uh, just above Alyssa Lang, who is a living, breathing angel, as far as I'm concerned, and Cole Kublik, who is, as you know, a guy who has a podcast. Also, most notably, a co-worker of Alyssa Lang. I think that's what it says in his work bio at ESPN. But that's not probably where your attention goes. Your attention goes to, huh, who's number one? If not us, who's number one? And number one on the top 100 best media personalities in college football, according to Big Game Boomer, who, as we know, is the oracle on all things lists, is Brandon Walker. Now, you may think to yourself, Brandon Walker, isn't that like Barstool Farmer Fran over there? Sloppy looking guy, gets upstaged on his own show a lot. Yes, that's him. But that's not the attitude I have towards this. In fact, it takes a big show. It takes a big host on a big show to admit when he's been defeated. And I am that big host. So Director Colin has gone to the door. He's opened it. And for the first time ever, I'm actually bringing Brandon Walker on the show. He's, he's here right now. Uh, if you're listening on podcast, you're just going to have to pretend. But I want to welcome Brandon Walker for the first time ever to Late Kick Live. Congratulations, buddy. I'm not necessarily sure that you deserve this. The criteria seemed flimsier than the playoff committee themselves lately, but no one in the history of humanity has ever given off participation trophy vibes more than this guy right here. And so from me to you, I know you needed this more than anyone else on that list. Congratulations and Merry Early Christmas. Brandon Walker, your top 2023 media personality in all of college football. And no applause whatsoever was had. Trash can dropped. We move on with the show. Thank you for that, Colin. Let's talk about some outrage in college football. It's everywhere. Uh, everybody's got an opinion on Florida State, as do I. So, uh, Colin, here's your end point if, if we're going to cut this up later. I've been in a weird position with this Florida State thing. As you know, two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I came on the air when Jordan Travis got hurt. And I said... There is no way you keep Florida State out if they go undefeated. I don't care what else happens. I don't care what the criteria is. You, you don't keep them out because I am not a big fan of playoff committee people assigning value to a football player. I don't care how much you think he's worth. I don't care what you think Florida State is without him. If they go undefeated, they belong in. Well, then when the dust settled, I came on the show and they put Alabama in over Florida State. And I said, hmm, I actually think that they made the right move but I really don't think there was a right move to be made. I just think they made a move. So a lot of you said, well, how, how is that not hypocrisy? Well, it kind of is. It kind of is because I, two weeks ago, I'll just be honest with you, I thought other things were going to sort themselves out. I believe in the principle of what I said. Haven't changed on that a bit. Um, what I did was I thought more about it in the week leading up, and I thought about it from a different angle, okay? So I think the playoff committee left Florida State out because he's hurt. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I thought about it from a pure resume comparison standpoint. I thought Bama's resume 
after the win against Georgia and seeing him in person and all that stuff, I thought Bama's resume was better than Florida State. That's where I thought they should have been in over Florida State. So you guys either agree with me or disagree with me. I know all Florida State folks disagree with me on that. That's fine. Um, I would ask that you don't take the added step of thinking there's some like corrupt subplot or there's some reason behind the screen, ulterior motive, why I feel that way. I'll tell you why I feel that way. I feel that way because it's just the way I feel. There's, there's nothing, there's no directive from CBS handed down from me or to me to feel that way. But I'll address that in a second. Anyway, I also agree with Florida State folks a lot, though. So that's where my unique position is, because I'm only like 51%, 49% on the Bama side to begin with, because obviously there's a valid argument to be made for Florida State, and a lot of you have been making it. The Florida State folks, a lot of them, a lot of the Florida State folks are mad because they think the committee changed the rules in the middle of the game, and I cannot disagree with them. I think that's exactly what happened. You know, I had a theory on this whole thing that I think the committee was baking expectations into their rankings. They expected you to lose. They expected Bama probably to lose to Georgia. They expected Oregon to beat Washington. And frankly, I think it was reflected in their rankings because their rankings really didn't align to begin with going into conference championship weekend if you just went off resume. So that was in the cards. But that's not really... I think what bends you the most out of shape, what bends you the most out of shape if you're a Florida State fan or you think they belonged in, is you think that they looked at all the criteria and then they just decided to override it anyway. And there's valid reason to feel that way. And that's, that's largely reflected in your emotion. But then Uncle Dennis, Dennis Dodd, goes and puts a piece up on CBSSports.com, you think yesterday, and he quotes an anonymous source. I believe, Jesse, it was on the playoff committee. And there's a lot of words on your screen right now, but I'm going to read you the most important part. So if you're, if you're watching on YouTube, several excerpts from Uncle Dennis's piece are here. If you're listening on podcast, here's all you need to hear. It was gut-wrenching, a committee member told CBS Sports under the condition of anonymity. For me individually... I evaluated whether FSU make it, whether they could make it through and win a national championship with the team they had. Now, I'm telling you, as a person who thought Bama should have been in over Florida State, it is complete garbage. If that was the methodology that anyone, much less an entire committee, used to keep Florida State out, it's garbage. I'm just sitting here telling you I thought the resume was better, and I'm acknowledging even Florida State being undefeated in a Power 5 league with a conference championship under their belt. I thought this was the one unique circumstance where there were one-loss conference champs in front of them that I just flat-out thought had better resumes. But what I never told you was I think they should be out because Travis is hurt. And I'm certainly never going to tell you I think they should be out because, well, I think I know they would or wouldn't be successful in the postseason. It's such a garbage take. And even if I had tried to defend that committee beforehand, when you got that being said, like, they didn't have to say that. They could have lied to Dennis and just said, oh, no, we, we followed the same protocols we always have. It, it, was an, it was anonymous, but it was still trash. So any Florida State fan who wants to take issue with that, I'm going to line up next to you, even though... We don't even agree on what the outcome of the four should have been. But if that's the methodology that was used, it's garbage. Here's my question. So to move past that, I'm not even defending the committee anymore. Okay, I, That's indefensible. I can't defend that. I can think they put the right four in, 
but think they did it for the wrong reasons, if that makes any sense. I know that sounds very discombobulated, but that's where my heart's at on this. Now, there's a follow-up I want to ask. Colin, I believe, Jesse, I think I sent you this, a screenshot of a tweet I put out earlier today because I'm still not calling it X. Yeah, here it is. So, little backstory here, and I think some of you may have participated in this. If you haven't, just follow along. As you could imagine, there has been robust conversation and some fairly toxic discourse between the people who maybe thought the committee went the right way and Florida State fans, or anyone who thought Florida State should have been in. Now, some people have just agreed to disagree. That has taken a back burner to the more popular sentiment, and that sounds a little something like this. If you think that Alabama should have been in over Florida State, you are a corporate shill, you are a shill for the SEC, uh, you are a sellout, you're bought and paid for, you're part of some ulterior motive, uh, you are corrupted, you don't have the best interest of the game at heart, blah, blah, blah. I don't doubt some of you feel that way. And hey, I can't even prove that there may not be some bad actors out there. I don't know. I am qualified to judge my heart on this. I'm qualified to be brutally honest with you on this. And so none of those descriptions fit me. And I do think Alabama should have been in. So we disagree on the outcome. But I put this out on Twitter earlier today. I said, is it possible for good-intentioned, logical people to simply disagree on college football? And I got largely the kind of responses you would expect. The, the point I'm trying to make there is the insinuation amongst some, I think albeit a radical minority, but some, is if you think anything other than FSU should have been number four, you, you are one of those descriptors I just listed. There's, in other words, there's no way that someone could just think Alabama belonged in, period. There's got to be something after, before the period. There's got to be, they work for ESPN, or the fix was in, or it's all politicized. And um, I can't speak for anyone else. I'm just telling you, I hold the opinion Bama should have been in. And I don't work for ESPN. I hold the opinion Bama should have been in. And hey, here's a little secret. You want me to fill you in on some financial details of our show? Our internals actually show Florida State would have been more profitable for us than Alabama making the playoff. Now, I think that blows your mind a little bit because you think, well, Bama's got the bigger fan base. That's true, but Bama's been to the playoff a million times, so their fans are already baked into our audience regardless. Our research has shown if a new team makes it, you get a massive 300, maybe 400% influx of new viewership. So, full disclosure, it would have been better for us if Florida State made it. I don't really care about any of it. Believe it or not, we got a philosophy around here that we're just going to say what we think. And sometimes it's going to be popular, sometimes it's not. But I would just, I would caution you. Because I used to do this uh, in baseball a lot. And it just applies to college football as seamlessly as it does baseball or NFL or anything else. I used to sit at home in Fortson, Georgia. I was a Braves fan, Falcons fan. Like I was, I was a big pro sports fan. And so I would watch the coverage of my teams. And I would pick up with those antenna ears of mine. Anytime someone spoke less than glowingly about my team, it was anti-Braves hatred. It was anti-Falcons. They, they hated Atlanta, et cetera, et cetera. And I would have sworn to you, I would have bet every dollar, and there weren't many of them in my pocket, but I would have bet every dollar there was just something bigger in play. 
And so then I got on the other side of the curtain in college football. And I've, I've watched the sausage get made. Most of the people you're accusing of this sort of thing, I know personally. I talk to them off the record. I know when they do have a vested interest in an outcome. Sometimes we joke about it. I will say this generically because I'm not mentioning any names in particular. You're throwing some people under the bus and you don't really know what you're talking about. I'm not speaking holistically. I'm speaking very generically. There are some people whose names are being thrown under the bus. And if you, if you really knew, you'd come to understand they couldn't care less who's in or who's out. They're genuinely speaking what they feel to be the best course of action when it comes to the final four teams that should have been in. I know that doesn't sound good. I know it doesn't traffic well on message boards. And I'm not telling you that there are no bad actors in the mix. I'm not telling you networks don't get involved sometimes. I'm not telling you this is not political. There are a lot of double negatives there. I'm not totally downplaying a lot of your accusations. I am saying there's some individuals whose names I've seen drug through the mud, not the least of which is mine. I'm okay with what you say about me. But there are some other people who I know for a fact are sort of on the same side of this as me and just thinking, hey, we just think the best four got put in or the most deserving or whatever we want to phrase that as now. And uh, that's not the popular public sentiment at the moment. The other thing, as we move on here, the other thing that I just want to reiterate yet again, if you're a Florida State fan or you think they should have been put in, another totally valid criticism that you guys are talking about is there was a shift in the committee's protocol, which there was, and it was spoken, again, voluntarily spoken on the record by Bill Hancock. I raised the alarms two weeks ago when the dude said to Heather Dennett, hey, we, we don't even know what most deserving means. It's not in our lexicon. It's about the best. When that happened, it, and, and when it happened, I said, if they stick to this, then it will deviate from their past protocols. Okay, that was a red herring. That was sort of the old canary in the coal mine that lets you know some of the conspiracy theories out there may be accurate. There is a conspiracy, for example, that just may be fact, that they watched that Georgia TCU game, and somewhere in a dark, dark corner of a room, they met and said, never again. We are not putting a team in just because we solely think they deserve it. If this is the grand result, if we have sold major nine-figure advertising against this game, and we have to look our advertising partners in the eye and say, sorry about 65 to 7, if we ever have to do that again, every one of you is fired. Get us four legitimate brands. Get us four legitimate teams. Some of you think that happened. And when I see the course correction in the methodology, I cannot completely disagree with you. I think there may be some validity to that. Now, again, I'm telling you, I think the proper four got put in. But if they got put in because of that, if they got put in because of what TCU did last year, uh, if they got put in because of television ratings, if they got, pulled, if they got put in because of anything other than uh, they had the fifth best resume or the fourth best resume, I don't agree with the methodology. Don't agree with it at all. And I would have sat here if FSU got put in and said, I would have put Bama in. I'm okay with it. I would have put Bama in uh, because that's kind of how on the fence I was about it to begin with. But yeah, you guys have a reason to be outraged over this. If, if what Dennis put in that article is true, and I have every reason to believe it is, and if what we saw in course correction from last year to this year is as it appears, you got every reason to be outraged. Because if that's what happened, you got screwed. Plain and simple. Moving forward, literally forward, because this stuff is happening as we speak, the transfer portal is just 
ablaze. Transfer portal's on fire. We got new names going in by the hour. And so I'm doing my best to keep up to speed here. I got Matt, I got Matt Zenitz over here, and I've just kind of got an open line of communication that I hope stays open. And um, it's a blessing to be able to just say, hey, what's this kid going to do? What's that kid going to do? Because uh, Zenitz doesn't have to sleep. He's more robotic than human. I like to get a few hours every night. And when I wake up, I need to know what happened. So 247sports.com, there's just like a, a rolling update right now of guys who are in. I'm looking at Texas A&M. That's a spotlight team right now. And we talk about spotlight teams every year in the portal season and in early signing day. And A&M with Mike Elko coming in is obviously that. Here's what I'm careful to do. Okay, I, I met with Jesse a little while ago, and I ran down the list of names I wanted to talk about. And every one of them, I'm always asking, are they in the portal or do we think they're expected to go in the portal? And I know that changes by the hour. So we got Walter Nolan, best we can tell, we think he's expected to go in the portal. LT Overton planning to enter the portal. A lot of times that's semantical, but people get really bent out of shape about it. So I want to be accurate on that. They're both five-star defensive linemen at AM. They were both in that very, very highly touted, top-rated recruiting class of all time a couple of cycles ago. Walter Nolan, if he's in the portal, he's the top-rated kid in the portal. He is immediate plug-and-play. There is not another Walter Nolan out there, but LT Overton not far behind him. And so either one of those guys, kind of like Bear Alexander last year, just immediate, high-level, five-star, plug-and-play, 6'4", 315 defensive lineman bodies. And obviously, you know, you got even Evan Stewart out there at AM too. A lot of speculation about whether he'll go in or whether he won't. Uh, also, if you're a guy like Evan Stewart, there is no need to rush that. A new coaching staff just came in, okay? You don't lose anything by waiting it out, feeling that coaching staff out. Let's see how things go. Because if you're an Evan Stewart, or for that matter, if you're Walter Nolan, if you're LT Overton, it doesn't matter when you go in. You're going to have landing spots all over the place. You are not one of the potential casualties that just get lost forever in the portal. You are a priority no matter when you go in. So I don't, I don't sit here shocked just because some of these high-level guys don't immediately jump in the portal as soon as it's open. They get to operate a little bit differently than the 99% do. What about Kyle McCord? A lot of you were surprised yesterday. The starting quarterback at Ohio State went in the transfer portal. Number 20 player overall. Now, that updates continuously as new kids go in. Sounds like there's some smoke with Nebraska right now. And I am not surprised necessarily because Nebraska's got to make a quarterback move regardless. Listen to this. These are paper popper stats for all the wrong reasons. Nebraska was 129th in pass yards per game this year. Here's a little Jeopardy music trivia question for you. I've got one, two, three. I got four teams and only four teams that were worse than Nebraska in pass yards per game this year. One of them is Air Force, enough said. One of them is Navy. One of them is Army, okay, enough said, enough said. And the other one is Iowa, which for all intents and purposes was a service academy offense in their own right this year. They didn't serve Iowa fans, mind you, but they were a service academy offense in terms of numbers. Other than the three service academies and Iowa, there were no teams worse in pass yards per game this year than Nebraska. So yeah, Kyle McCord, if he were to land at Nebraska, would be a massive upgrade, as would several of these kids over what they have now. Speaking of a kid who would be an upgrade in many offenses, Aiden Childs is in the portal. 
He was a four-star quarterback, number 58 overall, actually, just in this last recruiting cycle. So he was a true freshman at Oregon State. Remember, if your head coach leaves, you get to transfer penalty-free. So this doesn't even count. He could transfer again after this year and then transfer again as a grad transfer down the road if you wanted to. That's getting way ahead of ourselves. Jonathan Smith was his head coach at Oregon State. Jonathan Smith goes to Michigan State. There is a crystal ball that has been put in by our own Brandon Huffman for Aiden Childs to go to Michigan State. And they got to have one. They've had three quarterbacks at Michigan State transfer out. So the cupboard is virtually bare there. They're going to make a move for a quarterback. I am, I'm hearing uh, some interesting things just about Jonathan Smith, and it's to be expected, settling into that job. Because when you settle into a job, you got to figure out the geography, both in terms of recruiting, but you've also got to figure out the landscape figuratively in terms of who your NIL power players are. What's the current structure? What is my ideal structure? How quickly can we get that off the ground? And then all the while, you're trying to hire a staff. You're trying to recruit your current class. You're trying to keep your kids on campus and not going into the portal. And you're trying to add kids from the portal. Can you imagine doing all that? in the same 24-hour days that just normal people work normal jobs. But hey, it's okay because they get paid a lot of money, so all's well. Dylan Gabriel in the portal. This was not a surprise. I think publicly maybe it was. Oklahoma fans weren't shocked by this. There have been rumblings. Uh, Maybe if you're just like a random Maryland fan and you don't pay attention to the Big 12 or now the SEC, maybe you didn't see this coming. Dylan Gabriel was the starting quarterback for Oklahoma this past year. Uh, Put up good numbers. Nearly a 70% completion percentage guy. 30 touchdowns, 6 picks. And uh, had a big game against Texas. And so he's in the portal now, which means two things. Number one, it's Jackson Arnold season in Norman, Oklahoma. Nothing more need be said there. And number two, it looks like he's going to go to Oregon. I think there's a visit set up this weekend. Bo Nix is out right after he goes and fulfills his obligations as a Heisman Trophy finalist. He's, he's out. And um, strong betting favorite that Dylan Gabriel ends up in Eugene, Oregon. Now, where I don't know this kid's going to end up, this next kid is Brock Vandergriff. I don't know where Brock Vandergriff's going to end up. I've got some guesses. Early, uh, early crystal ball prediction momentum is Brock Vandergriff to Kentucky. But, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the B-roll and you can pretty well guess, oh, that's a Georgia quarterback. If you're listening on podcasts, I just told you, that's a Georgia quarterback. This is a, a good problem to have if you're Georgia. Carson Beck, at least as of this evening, the thinking around here is it's more likely than not he returns for another year in Athens. So if he does, that's great for Georgia. But even if he doesn't, you got Dylan Riola coming in. You got Puglisi in the next class. Now, that wouldn't necessarily impact Vandergriff a whole lot. But they just got too many good players up there. So this is a good problem to have. Um, he's going to move on. Brock Vandergriff, he's a retro sophomore right now, 6'3", 210. He was the number five quarterback a couple of cycles ago. Kentucky has a crystal ball in there for him. So let's just see now. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily view myself as being fully up to speed on his process, but Kentucky, I know, had an early crystal ball. Uh, Vandergriff could be a really good player. Carson Beck beat him out, but he could be a really good player. and. As is usually the case in transfer portal season, it's like one of the only times we use the teleprompter. Because Jesse just typed in the teleprompter, 
Arkansas running back Rocket Sanders has entered the transfer portal. Jesse, he is in, right? Okay, so he is in the transfer portal. If you open the door, you will see Rocket Sanders in there right now. Remember, Bobby Petrino, new offensive coordinator there. Uh, we're, we're still waiting to hear about a lot of those guys up there. Rocket Sanders, that's going to be... There, there, are, there are a lot of names, Rocket Sanders being one of them, who's in the portal now. And there are some more names of running backs out there, pretty high profile, that could go in the portal. And there are some high profile teams. Georgia, since we just talked about them, it is, it is mandatory that they go at a difference maker at running back. And I think they will. And the guy they eventually add may or may not already be in the portal because it's just now open. So uh, you got you to gotta head on a swivel. You got to have that head on a swivel this time of year. Mm. Okay. I guess I should. Yeah, yeah. I, I had my papers mixed up. You know what I almost did? I almost forsook Academy. And they would never do that to us. Academy Sports and Outdoors. I've got, a, I've got a, an update for you, by the way. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, here's what they do. They offer great products at phenomenal prices. They've got academy.com if you can't get there in person. But they also decided last week when Spotify Wrapped started doing their end of the season, you know, here's your number one podcast thing that they do for you. And they hit me up and said, we want to give away $150 gift cards to anyone who proves that Late Kick was their number one most listened to podcast of the year. So I told you, screenshot it. Hashtag it with, what did we do? Jesse, we did Pate State Academy and just put it out there. Send it to me on, on Insta, send it to me on Twitter or X, and we will, we will enter you. We have not selected yet. I want to let you know that. We have not made the selections yet. So you still got time to screenshot that Spotify wrapped and send it to me, preferably not email, preferably Twitter or Instagram. Hashtag that thing, Pate State Academy. And a hundred of you are grabbing a $50 gift card from Academy. I don't know what better way they can say Merry Christmas than actually put money in your pocket because that's how we roll around here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Let's move on. I got so much to get to here. I had one of my 
one of my sweet, sweet viewers at the gym earlier today who said, well, now that the games are over, I guess you don't have a lot to talk about, huh? And if it wouldn't have been so insulting, I would have just patted her on the head. You poor thing. Have you not heard about what Dabo Swinney is doing at Clemson? I got a stance on Dabo. I shared it many times during the season. I said Dabo's going to have to evolve some. I think he's prideful. I think there's some stubbornness that comes along with that pride, but he's got reason to be prideful because he's had a ton of success up there and he has built a rock-solid culture at Clemson. There are so many positive things to say about Dabo that doesn't mean you're void of mild criticism. That is the extent of the criticism I've had for Dabo, mild. The reason I sound a little defensive is because Dabo has made some coaching moves. Dabo actually offered a kid in the portal, and I had some people come back at me like over the past 48 hours and say, boy, I bet you, I bet you want to backtrack on that Dabo take. I don't want to backtrack on it at all. I want to say, maybe I'm getting an answer to my question. That's how I always left it. Me and, me and Jesse went and looked at the Dabo segments we've done. I'm very intentional in the very last quadrant of the little mind map I do for our segments. I always leave a question for Clemson and Dabo because I have no clue what he's going to do. I think changes have to be made, not fundamental big ones, but I think some of the ornaments on the tree need to re be rearranged a little bit. And that, that has to do with staff and it has to do with portal philosophy, to be clear. Those are the two things I'm talking about. Well, the reason I feel that is because I felt like their staff had gotten stale. I didn't think their staff was elite. And their last three recruiting classes were 10th, 12th, and 15th nationally, which is good, not great, because the two before that had been third and fifth. So on one hand, you had big-time coaches headed out the door. You had recruiting slightly dipping, slightly dipping, and you had a total aversion to the transfer portal. Well, what that equaled was an eight and four season this year. That's not hard to figure out. To me, it's not hard at all to figure out. He's shaking the tree. Dabo Swinney is shaking the tree. So he just made two big time hires. He hired Matt Luke as his offensive line coach. He went and got Chris Rumpf as a defensive line coach, a defensive end coach, uh, to put it specifically. Those guys are like puzzle pieces at Clemson. Matt Luke and Chris Rumpf fit at Clemson about as well as any assistance you could find out there. They're high-level guys. They have, I mean, Luke's been a head coach and then worked for Kirby at Georgia and just took some time away from football uh, for Debo to pull him back into it and get Chris Rumpf. Man, big time, big time hires. And I don't think those are in isolation. What I think happened is Debo got to the end of the season and did exactly what he should have done. Probably does it every year. He did a full top-to-bottom self-scout and he did an inventory of his program. But because he's coming off an 8-4 and four season, and because there's noise being made elsewhere in that conference for the first time in a long time, and because the level of the program isn't quite what it had been in years past, I think he's shaking the tree pretty hard, and I think you're going to see some changes there. And you know what? If I ever doubted him, what I doubted is I doubted he'd ever lean into the transfer portal. Now, I cannot prove that he's going to, but it, it doesn't feel to me like the aggression that he's had in, in making some of these changes is going to be in a vacuum. I think it's going to be top-down aggression, and that doesn't mean he's going to take 15 kids in the portal, but I don't think they're done being active in the portal. Oh, that was a big hiccup. I don't think they're done being active in the portal this cycle. Um, how active will they be is the question. Doesn't need to happen overnight. It doesn't need to go from we don't do anything in the portal to we're Colorado, nor does it ever need to be that at Clemson. 
Uh, they have taken two kids out of the portal in the past four years combined. Now, before you go in the comment section, Clemson fans, and remind me of your scholarship situation, I know what the scholarship situation has been. They don't run kids off over there. Some places they do. Just putting it to you like it is. Some places they run kids off and they free up scholarship space and Dabo does not really believe in doing that. And so as a result, they have fewer scholarship spots open to begin with. I understand that. I'm taking that into account. That doesn't mean he couldn't have made any moves recently. It means that they haven't. And so I don't know how focused he is on the externals. In other words, what's going on around him. But the harbor used to be empty for a little while. Clemson was this big ship in the harbor, and there was nothing else in the ACC. And now Florida State's come in there doing it totally different. They have heavily leaned on the portal, and it's paid off. I mean, they were a playoff caliber team this year. They went undefeated wire to wire. They won the ACC. Miami's not going to stop. Okay, Miami beat you this year, and their talent roster is only going to get better. What they do with it is another conversation, but all of a sudden, you don't have top to bottom the best personnel. You don't have top to bottom the best coaching staff anymore. You're competitive, but that wasn't always the case. And so maybe that's a little bit of heat that's needed to be felt around there. They finished under 10 wins for the first time in over a decade this year. They were outside the playoff ranking top 20 for the first time ever. So it's not hard to imagine how Dabo would arrive at the conclusion that, yeah, I need to shake it up a bit. I just hope he is. I, I, he, doesn't need to, he doesn't need to rewrite the Tiger Paul logo. He doesn't need to reinvent how to spell Clemson. It's not a top-to-bottom overhaul that's needed. It's just tweaks here and there. And ph philosophically, it's just, I used to love seafood but not eat sushi. Then I tried sushi and realized, oh, it's been great this whole time. I just didn't try it. Now, I don't eat it every night. Could. But I don't eat it every night. But man, I love sushi about two or three times a month. You don't have to live in the portal. But man, grabbing a Keon Coleman every now and then, it does not hurt, friends. It does not hurt at all. More changes being made. Not just at Clemson. I, hey, Jesse, uh, give me a quick yes or no in my ear. Did you ever print the quote off for Lincoln Riley? Okay, I am going to proceed to stall for a second. Can you make Bradley run and get it for me? Yes or no? Okay, Bradley can run and get it for me. What should we talk about, though? What should we talk about? Huh. Well, I will tell you uh, later on, someone asked me a question about something that we haven't spoken about on the show since, oh, I don't know, Colin, maybe September, maybe early October, and it, it's mocking me. Full disclosure, a little tease ahead in the show, it's mocking me. It's about a certain coach in Boulder, Colorado that has his own sunglass line, and I think you know who I'm talking about. And do you notice that not many people have talked about Dion lately? We haven't talked about him on the show lately. And because there's been some silence on that front, it's been taken to mean that uh, some people have punted on him or they don't care about him or it was all clickbait and engagement farming. And I say all that to say I've just been informed we don't have the paper. Bradley has failed miserably today. And he's also wearing a pink t-shirt with Japanese lettering on it. So no one knows what's going on around the office. Anyway, save the quote board. I'll call for it in a second. Hopefully, the words of Lincoln Riley will appear momentarily. So, Lincoln Riley is in a must-change situation at USC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, these, these numbers, opponent, these are all defensive. Opponent points per game, 120th in the country. 
yards, 119th in the country. Passing, 115th. Rushing, 114th. Explosive plays given up, 120th. They were just terrible. Again, defensively this year, they tried to do some stuff in the portal. Uh, they still had Alex Grinch out there as the defensive coordinator. They, they were bad. It doesn't, really do many, it doesn't really do much good to continue to harp on the numbers. I just want to use that as a backdrop. And I don't want to get carried away here. It's very easy. In media days season, it's easy to get excited. But it did not take to Big Ten media days next year for Lincoln Riley to go off. So I got to tell you, yesterday, I know Lincoln Riley spoke with the media in Los Angeles. Words don't win football games. Press conferences don't win football games. I am acknowledging that. But even acknowledging that, when I listened to what came out of his mouth yesterday, I could not help but just say, whoa. So listen to this. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can read along with me. These are the words of the head coach at the University of Southern California, Lincoln Riley. Quote, my mentality going into it. They just hired the defensive coordinator from UCLA, by the way. So he says, my mentality going into it is, we're going to do everything that we can in this program to accelerate the process of us playing great defense at USC. Whatever it takes to get that done from a development standpoint, from a staffing standpoint, from the way we practice, everything here is going to be done with a defensive mind first. The edge here is always going to go to what's best for our defense. That was not a Kirby Smart press conference. That was not a Nick Saban press conference. Those words came out of the mouth of Lincoln Riley. Half of you were not sure he knew how to spell defense. That's how little he seemed interested in it. And even if he was interested in it, it's how little it seemed like they prioritized it. Good for him, first off. I hope he means every word of it. I didn't even expect him to go that far. Defense first mentality. I didn't even expect those words to come out of Lincoln Riley's mouth. Uh, so I'm going to remind you my thoughts on Lincoln Riley. The book is not written on Lincoln Riley. The book is in the process of being written. So the first few chapters, there have been a ton of points. There have been some Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Uh, he's rewritten the offensive record books at times, and they haven't won the top prize in the game because they can't stop anyone. Fundamentally, they're an unsound team on that side of the football. That doesn't mean it always has to be that way. But I will also remind you of another feeling that I've had there. I have doubted that the soil out there was conducive to any kind of defensive coordinator having success. And to his credit, it sounds like he gets that. Finally, maybe? It sounds like Lincoln Riley understands that. It is not simply going and hiring a big defensive coordinator name and then saying, all right, well, I'm not really going to change my program. You're the change. I'm bringing you in. You make us good on defense. That's not how it works. And it's really important for you to pay attention to what he said. He didn't just say, we're going to prioritize defense by hiring the right guy. He said, we're going to evaluate top down everything about the program. Did you notice how he mentioned the way we practice? Uh, there have long been little rumblings and murmurs behind the scenes that USC doesn't handle a football practice in a manner that puts them in the best position to do things like tackle on Saturdays, uh, be in proper position, fit gaps, be physical enough. And so I'm not there at practice. I've never been invited to USC practice, but I see the results on Saturday. And if that's not true, it's not too far from being true, as far as my eye can see. So if he's serious about that, it means he's done the same thing Dabo's done. He's looked at his results. He said they're not good enough. 
He knows results are a perfect product of what you have been from a procedure standpoint. And if you want to change the results, you have to change the procedure. Part of that's hiring a defensive coordinator, but that's just going and buying the seed. You got to make sure the soil is fertile enough where if I plant him, he grows what I want. That's a top 10, top 15 defense. They don't have to be the best in the country. I know that's what he said. You give me a top 25 defense at USC, they're winning a national championship. Or they're going to compete for him at the very least. The other thing they have to do, and this is easier said than done too, is they got to go get better players. You can't portal in an elite defensive lineman. You can portal in, excuse me, you can't portal in elite defensive lines. You can portal in an elite defensive lineman, but you're not, you're not building either line of scrimmage through the portal. You're not going to do it in the MAC. I don't care. You're, you're especially not going to do it in the Big Ten, which I'm just in the process of getting used to saying about USC. You're not going to do that. Um, having said that, they're going to have to try because I'm looking at their recruiting ranking right now. They're in the teens, aren't they, Jesse? And even having said that, it's not a class that's loaded up with premier defensive linemen right now. And I, I know that he, he took some heat, mild heat, uh, but he took some heat recently when he was talking about recruiting. And he said, yeah, we want to recruit LA, but we got to go all over the place. And some people took that to mean he wasn't prioritizing Los Angeles recruiting and Southern California recruiting enough. You can't live in California recruiting and be good on the lines of scrimmage. They don't grow them out there. That's not where you go. You know where you go? You go to LA to find offensive linemen, but it's the one that stands for Louisiana. You got to go into Florida. You got to go to IMG. You got to go to Texas. You got to go to Georgia. You got to win cross-country recruiting battles. And if that sounds impossible, where do you think these Southern schools are getting half their quarterbacks from? They got no problem coming out there and taking yours, so you need to go take theirs. You're in Los Angeles. It's the NIL era. You do it by any means necessary. Um, they can be good defensively. Uh, the, like I said, the book on Lincoln Riley at USC hasn't been written. We're a few chapters in, and they've been void of, of solid defensive football. But kind of like I was talking about with Ryan Day the other day, a Ryan Day team, quote-unquote, a Ryan Day team, once upon a time, that meant just try and outscore everyone, hang 45, and hope they don't score more than 40, and we'll be good, and we'll have a high-level quarterback. Well, this year, they had Kyle McCord, who was a good, solid quarterback, but they had a really good defense. Okay, so that doesn't match up what people told me a Ryan Day team always would be. What happened? Well, he's young enough, and he's early enough in his career where he's still evolving. Lincoln Riley is plenty young enough, plenty early enough in his career where he's still evolving. There's no guarantee either way. I just don't, I don't speak in definitive terms. I'm holding a pen in my hand, mainly to subdue nervous energy. But I don't use this when I write a definitive take on some of these guys. I mean, you know, Nick Saban even in his 60s. Go look in the mid-20-teens. That dude redefined how he philosophically approached coaching the game. You don't think Lincoln Riley could do that or, or Ryan Day or, or any of these guys? Everybody can do it. It's will you do it. All right, let's roll it on. Uh, we have some more things to get to, and I don't want it to be a two-hour show tonight. So I had a question come in about the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to spend like a couple of minutes here. because I have, I've talked about this once, but now we got the finalists to now. So let's take a look at the tweet first, and then I got some things to say here. Hunter hit me up and said, in the past, you've been disappointed by the Heisman finalists. Do you have any thoughts on the four players who were chosen this year? So the four finalists are Jaden Daniels of LSU, Michael Penix Jr. of Washington, uh, Bo Nix of Oregon, and Maserati Marv, a.k.a. Marvin Harrison Jr. of Ohio State. 
I've got no big issue with any of them. Jaden Daniels is going to win the award. I think he should win the award, but I've got no problem with the finalists. I know some people, you know, wanted to nitpick Marv for not having the kind of offensive stats that like a Malik Neighbors at LSU did. You probably weren't going to get the quarterback and the receiver from the same team down there. I'll, I'll discuss why that's ridiculous in a second, but you probably weren't going to get that. Uh, Marvin Harrison is there because, number one, he didn't have a prolific quarterback this year, still put up big numbers. He was the focal point in big games. He was unstoppable at times in big games. I got no issue with him being there. Jaden Daniels is going to win the Heisman. Jaden Daniels should win the Heisman. People saying the dude played no meaningful games the past year. Just don't take that opinion seriously. It is a casual opinion. I'm not telling you everyone who says that is a casual, but as Meemaw taught us early on and often, smart people can say casual things. Casual people rarely say smart things. If you're telling me Jaden Daniels didn't play meaningful games, it's because you've bought in and drunk the Kool-Aid of the only thing mattering are college football playoff implication games. When LSU plays Florida, it's meaningful 100% of the time. When LSU plays Texas A&M, it's meaningful 100% of the time. He shined in both those games down the stretch. And by the way, let me tell you why he's going to win it. Number one, because he was the most outstanding player in college football this year, which is the definition of the award. Number two, he was a QB1 and an RB1. He put up over 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 8.4 yards per carry as a runner this year. That is, that is like all-conference status if some running backs have those numbers, not to mention his passing numbers, which were even more prolific. So yeah, Jaden Daniels, to me, is a pretty clear runaway Heisman Trophy winner this year. I don't have any problem respecting the prize, by the way, of the Heisman Trophy. The person who asked the question said, I know you've been disappointed in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm disappointed in the process. I know some of the people who vote on this award. They got no business voting on any kind of major award in college football. They don't know college football. They don't love college football, some of them. And so I've just had a lack of respect for the process, not the prize. I got immense respect for that trophy. I got immense respect for the guys who have won it. And many years, I think they've gotten it right. But some of the process, like some of the lead up, do you realize, for example, this award is voted for online now? It's as easy as opening your email, opening the packet, clicking, sending. That's it. It takes 10 seconds. And some people still submit their vote before conference championship Saturday. It's insane. Uh, some people have votes and don't vote, which is also insane. So there are way too many folks out there um, who have votes who shouldn't have them. I've always had a problem with the process. I don't have a problem with the prize at all. I think the right guy is going to win it this year for the record. So I got no complaints right now. If you want to bet on it, though, if you do think that I'm wrong, if you think that Michael Penix did enough in the Pac-12 championship game, or maybe Bo Nix, even in defeat, did enough to, to hang on to the top spot and there's going to be an upset, we can go to FanDuel right now. You don't need to argue with me about it. FanDuel is where we love to go to settle our debates. You know, like we got the playoffs coming up. If I end up picking Michigan and you're steadfast and thinking Alabama is going to win that thing, well, the line is nearly a pick em right now. We can just go over to FanDuel. We don't even have to bet. We can have the intermediary. We can have FanDuel hold that money for us. Um, FanDuel is our exclusive odds provider. They have been all season. We really appreciate them being on board. There are some, some interesting bowl lines, and we're going to get to that in very short time. Not tonight, but in very short time. And I'm going to probably have several best bets in bowl season. Uh, our bowl bets, 
on the Ramen Noodle Express will be brought to you by FanDuel. The JP poll has been powered by FanDuel all year. And notice, friends, and this has nothing to do with FanDuel, but just notice there were, there were times this year, as usual, where I'd put out the JP poll, and since the order wasn't exactly as some people thought it should be, instead of just saying, oh, we disagree, they said, you don't know ball, this model needs to be overhauled, this model's broken, well, I can confirm for you, for the seventh year in a row, that model, which we use to place our bets, has won us money. So for seven consecutive years, against the best in the world, Vegas odds makers, we have finished plus money. And that means we never had to deposit more than once. We deposited at the beginning of the season, and there's more money in that account now than there was at the beginning of the season. You may think that's easy, because selectively, you remember all the bets you won, and you don't remember the bets you lost. 96% of you lose money betting sports long-term, because you use your gut. Here on this show, we don't believe in using our gut. We trust the model. Perfect the model is not. But accurate and profitable the model is. And so we appreciate FanDuel powering that model and being the place we can go to place said bets. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Let's move it along. They're watching us in Athens, Alabama. They're watching us in Youngsville, Louisiana and Cincinnati. Ohio. Oh, this question's in here, huh? You know what? We were going to do this the other night, but let's throw this question in. And then I got something about Deion Sanders. It's a name not heard on the show in a little while. Um, I was just trying to check. Oh, you know what, Colin? I do have my chapstick, so hold, please. Dew points are just precariously low in the, uh, in the studio tonight. All righty. So Trenton hit us up. And Trenton said... I know you are not in favor of expanded playoffs. Has this year and the amount of deserving or capable teams who will potentially miss the playoffs change your mind on expansion? Ohio State, the Pac-12 loser, the SEC loser, uh, could all be problems in the playoffs uh, from Orlando, Florida. Well, there's a lot of teams that could be. Ohio State could be a problem in the playoffs. Sure, they could. Oregon could still be a problem in the playoffs if they made it in. Uh, They're not making it in because they don't deserve to be in. No, it hasn't changed my mind, to answer your question. This year has not changed my mind on what the size of the playoffs should be. 
we're going to expand it anyway. We're going to 12 teams. That'll be next year. This time next year, we'll be getting ready for what quarterfinal games on campuses. Let me address one thing. One thing, since we haven't touched on this in a while, and we won't very frequently after this. Uh, inevitably, if I've ever debated playoff expansion, and I've said, I want four and no more. Ideally, I'd just love to go back to the BCS for, for many reasons. Uh, and people who support expansion, they've listened to that and they've said, look at these hypothetical matchups. Look at, the, look at uh, Georgia goes to Penn State in round one in Happy Valley in early December. Who says no to this? How could you, how could you ever deny this would be a great scene? I've never denied that. The playoff product itself would be awesome, would be wonderful. It will be. It will be awesome to watch. That's not chapter one of the book. It never has been. What do you have to lose in order to gain it? And some of you think it's worth losing some of the magnitude of regular season games. Some of you think there'll be more importance on more games. I fundamentally disagree with that, but be that as it may, I've just always been of the opinion that the payoff is not worth the trade-off. So that's, that's it and that's all. I don't deny the games in December will be awesome. It's, I'm going to watch Ohio State and Michigan and know, well, they're going to rematch in the Big Ten title game. Well, they'll probably both make the playoff anyway, regardless of who wins these first two games. And that's lame to me. I'm going to watch Penn State lose to Michigan, lose to Ohio State, and then walk out of the stadium thinking, oh man, that probably drops them all the way down to a 10 seed. That's lame to me. It also takes away a lot of the magnitude of those games. So anyway. Four is the right size to me, but if you wanted to expand and use this year as evidence, got no problem with it. Now, I don't think the worst thing in the world is people being mad at the end of a football season. But if you wanted to say that we need to expand so we never have a Florida State happen again, I'm cool with it. Why does it need to be 12? Why does it need to be 10? Why does it need to be eight? Why not six? Why not, um, you know, why not? Four, uh, four, well, two through six, and then one and two having a first round bye. So you work in all that stuff that prioritizes conference champs. Um, that's a, that, by the way, that conference championship tie-in is really going to come back to bite a lot of you because there are two power conferences in the future of this sport. And we're still using language being baked into this stuff like there are going to be four or five of them. I'm telling you, there aren't. There may be quality teams outside the Big Ten and the SEC. There will not be conferences that can tote the jocks of those two conferences. And yet we're still talking about automatic tie-ins for these conference champs. We're still talking about the G5 having an automatic spot at the table. And that's always been a ludicrous concept to me. I've always wanted a G5 playoff. That's what I've always wanted. But I get shot down on that. And so I don't even waste my breath on it anymore. But no, I have not changed my mind. But if you want to change my mind, like if you, if you told me, Josh, I've got a proposal right here. Every commissioner is ready to sign off on it. It's a six-team playoff with the first two seeds having buys. Will you sign the piece of paper? Yes, I would. I would sign that piece of paper because at the very least, it would keep the sanctity of the regular season. It would prioritize play until the very finish line because you got buys in the first round. It wouldn't let every 10-2 and two team in the world in. and we would maintain the guarantee that we don't have what just happened happen anymore. Because I don't like that about Florida State. Um, my, my only thinking is if you gave me an A-B scenario, and scenario A is keep the four-team playoff, or B, go to 12 teams, and there's no in-between, I'd keep the four. 
Because to me, in a decade, we've had one team get legitimately screwed. I haven't thought the other instances were legitimate screw jobs. This thing that happened to Florida State is. Okay, if that is the price we pay, and then on the other side, the price we pay is draining the significance off dozens of regular season games, sorry, I'm going to take scenario A. And I'm going to say I'm sorry to Florida State folks, and I'm going to take scenario A. They don't let me make those decisions, though. Fortunately for a lot of you who want expansion, so you're well and good there. Uh, Last question here on this glorious Tuesday evening. And subscribe to the channel and like the video if you're here and you haven't already, because that's how we keep the lights on and keep the show free. And it is the holiday season. It's the season of giving. And so I don't have a bell to ring. We do have that cowbell over there, but it's, it's out of my reach. We've already had too much Mississippi State on the show tonight with Brandon Walker leading things off. But yeah, just, just like the video. Less than a fifth of you have liked the video right now. And it helps us so much. Let's hit this last question. Turner from Fort Worth, Texas asked, what happened to your Dion hype after Colorado crawled to the finish line? It disappeared, Turner. That's what happened. There was a lot of hype around Colorado earlier in the year, and then they lost a lot of games, and the hype was gone, and I didn't talk about him anymore because they weren't worth talking about at the end of the year because you didn't care at the end of the year, Turner. What happened to your hype? I see the traffic patterns on our videos. Earlier in the year, it was fishing with dynamite, and the dynamite was laced with cocaine. That was what that content was doing in the public arena. I could have just said the name Deion Sanders for 10 minutes straight and you would have clicked on it. Then all of a sudden they started losing games and we did some Colorado content and it didn't perform well. And so as I usually do, I listened to you, Turner and company. Uh, You told me don't talk about Colorado anymore. So I didn't. And they lost their final two, four, six, eight games. That's what happened. Now, there was something that some people were doing in the early part of this season They were saying ludicrous things that didn't need to be said. When they beat TCU, I was surprised. And then they beat Nebraska, and I was very happy and elated for them. And then they ended up, was that the week, I think week three maybe, the week four they went to Oregon. Um, They just got totally annihilated. And they put up a good fight against USC, but they lost that game too. It was downhill then, and it had been downhill ever since. They didn't have the depth. Attrition got to them. The length of a season got to them. But what happened early in the season with Dion in Colorado is everyone wanted to outtake each other. And that's one pool I'm glad I didn't jump into. We talked about them on virtually every show. But all I did was comment on what was going on. I didn't try and project. I didn't tell you they're about to go eight wins. I didn't tell you they're a contender in the Pac-12. I didn't tell you Dion's the next in line for Nick Saban or, or Dion should, should have been hired at fill in the blank instead of so-and-so. I didn't do any of that because it was premature. I didn't do any of it about the team because they weren't ever going to be that. Uh, the eyeballs didn't fool me that much, but uh, some people did, and uh, I, they know who they are. And you know what? If you want to go hate on them, Turner, go ahead, and I'll probably retweet it for you. But go back. All our videos are still public. Go back and check out our Dion videos. They'll come right to the top. If you filter for viewership, by the way, they'll pop up really quickly. They're some of our most viewed videos. Go find my ridiculous take on Colorado and Dion. I didn't say anything other than what was going on. I said it was the biggest story in college football in the first month of the season. That's not even debatable. I said it was a great story. It was surprising because it was to me. I thought TCU was going to run them out of the building. 
So if anything, I doubted Colorado was wrong, but I did not hardcore knee-jerk react and say that they were going eight wins, nine wins, anything like that. Um, I, I Look, I thought we were pretty fair on it. And the hype was there for a while, and the hype was gone very quickly thereafter because they weren't a good football team. And then I also said, and I just thought about this now, I said people are about to recalibrate their expectations. There were people who thought they may not win one or two games, who now that they've won a couple, now they're going to say, oh, Dion can't make a bowl game. And if he doesn't make the bowl game, they'll call him a failure. He was not a failure this year. Colorado was not a failure this year. They improved this year. Uh, they may improve again next year. You don't go from one win to 10 wins overnight. And anyone who understands how football works and how roster building works understand, understands it's a long, arduous process. And you may rebuild a receiver room through the portal. You may DBs, you may go DBs in the portal. You're not building an offensive line worth anything in the portal at this level. You're not building a defensive line worth anything at this level out of the portal. You won't do that. The next team that does it will be the first team that does it. And so I'm not telling Deion Sanders anything he may not know. I think I'm telling some folks things they don't know, though. So I don't think we hype them up too much. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys will find that. We're out of time. We did a nice little hour-long show tonight. Proud of it. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Like the video and subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel. That's all we ask you to do this Christmas season. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your night, and God bless. be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.